Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And uh, today we're talking about uh, risk. <laughs> um, yeah, and like taking risks from large to small scale. Yes, good. Okay, so this is your um, idea. So... What do you want to, how do you want to approach this? How do you want to tackle this subject? Well, I suppose it's just kind of about how, um, I suppose we always feel like in our own situation, the world is more risky than it ever used to be. But like you always um, try and put that in perspective in the sense that you were like, there's always the thing that everyone's afraid of at the time. Um, so on. Um, and that, you know managing your own risk and being able to sort of cope day to day um so kind of talking about that a little bit so i guess it's kind of okay. the anxiety of risk um right that's good yeah okay and um and coping basically because life is risky but coping with it mm. um and i think that might be important for um our sort of ex-religious listeners as a lot are mm. in the sense that maybe risk feels um for lack of a better more word risky. more risky yeah, yeah. Um, or think life feels more risky because mm. all of a sudden you have one life rather than um you know this just being an interim almost um mm. until you get to the point of life that is completely free of risk and devoid of risk um mm. so i think it'll be important to talk about that um and just sort of go from there really um so i mean obviously you've got a psychology background so i don't know if you think that makes it i mean do you feel yeah, you feel calmer now <laughs> with your psychology brain now i, now I know the psychology yeah. um I, I don't i mean i think they're two slightly different things so risk and being calm you know i know i know what you're saying they're kind of related in some respects mm. but um i think i think i probably am able to be a bit more objective about risk than i used to be whether that's because of my studying psychology or just because as you get older, maybe you become a little less. Um, mm. uh, well, I mean, in a way, we've had this slight opposite conversation where, you know, as you were rightly saying that it's known that as a young person, young people are uh, classically known to be more willing to take risks. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you get older, you tend to, um, take fewer risks but on the other hand I feel like because um, I don't know a, a I mean I'm still fairly young but a decent chunk of my life has gone already and you know I feel like um, it's not you know the, the stakes aren't quite as high so I don't know um, yeah. let's well, get on to that things worked out but, yeah mm. 
Yeah, um, I think so. Just sort of summarising what you said, you, you said that we want to talk about managing risk, mm-hmm. and we want to talk about coping with risk. So those two yeah. are, for me, slightly different things, which would be good yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose managing risk is maybe the choices you make, and then coping with risk yeah. are the things you just have to deal with. You don't get to uh, yeah. self-manage them. Well, and and if you you know if you make choices about how you're going to manage the risk, then you still mm-hmm. have to be then okay do it with and that. cope with it yeah. mm, exactly so i think the two sort of sit hand in hand and mm. um, as always we need to know what we're talking about so what do we mean when we talk about risk well i suppose in the in the current climate risk was very much linked to um to covid so everything was okay well what's the risk of that if we do this party what's the risk of that if we invite these people round well we've we've just had somebody round so we probably shouldn't go see you know grandparents or elderly people that would be a bit risky so we started talking about risks and likelihoods I suppose a lot more than I think I've talked about risks and likelihoods before um Mm. so basically a risk is um something that if it happened would be detrimental so it's normally a negative thing so yes taking a risk yeah yeah. So a risk is something that could happen that would be bad for you, um, that hasn't happened yet, that may or may not happen, mm-hmm. but there's a risk. So it's the chances, yeah. if you like, of something happening or not that would be bad for you. And I think it's important to, the reason I wanted to talk about it is, um, I've sort of spoken with friends and things about this, is this um, very deep uncomfort with risk and sort of having to manage risk down to the minutiae until the zero percent of risk in doing something so you know not wanting to um i don't know but not uh, having to uh self-manage in my in your brain that the, the risk is absolute zero if i go on the train by saying i'll do this which means um you know, I'll wear a mask so I won't get COVID and I'll sit in the in the in-between of the carriages so I won't be near anybody and um, I'll go at this time so there's no, you know, and having to, trying to manage the risk down to zero. But I think, unfortunately in life, we don't have as much control as that um, where we can control everything down to have zero chance of risk. And also, is it healthy to try and constantly manage everything down to a zero on the risk factor, I suppose, is my other question. Yeah, well, I think that's that comes to the heart of what, what we do when we manage risk is that we identify a, a likelihood, if you like, of something happening. So basically, when it comes to risk, there are two factors that you have to think about. Um, and they are likelihood of it happening and what the implications are if it does happen. So basically, you're you're weighing the two against each other. So, mm-hmm. um, what are the chances? And if it does happen, how bad is it? So, um, the the likelihood versus impact mm-hmm. calculation. Mm-hmm. So, in the workplace, we do this a lot. Really, we have risk, risk assessments. Assessments, yeah. exactly, and that's essentially what you're doing. You're looking at okay, if I carry these boxes down these stairs without holding onto their handlebars, you know, what is the likelihood of me tripping over and falling us over tits uh, versus if I do that, how serious is it going to be? And so you're trying to weigh up 
whether it's worth doing something or mitigating that risk. So if something's quite low in impact, let's say, so if it happens, well, it doesn't really matter, just stub your toe, not a problem. Mm. Um, then even if it's quite a high likelihood of it happening, you might think, well, if it happens, it doesn't really matter. The other extreme is that something's very unlikely to happen, but if it does, it's catastrophic. So then you might have to think about that. So really it's about weighing up those two things. And in the workplace, you might try to do that by assigning numbers to these things okay. and then multiplying yeah. them together. So you might actually have a little table where you, you mm-hmm. work out a risk number um, and then the high ones you do something about. But I think in, in real life, you don't do that. You, you make a, no. an internal calculation, don't you? And I suppose to what degree do you think it's, um, you know, healthy and good to do that? So in terms of in day-to-day life, um, do you think that's a good tool to use if you kind of you doing a bit of internal calculus there to see if it's worth it? Or do you think that that's, there's a line at which it can get a bit too obsessive? I think there's always a line mm. in which it get, can get too obsessive. So yeah, if you are um, kind of stopping everything and, and doing a, you know, a risk assessment for every single action, you know, Mm -hmm. should I get up out of my bed this morning? Mm -hmm. What's the risk calculation for going through my front door? You Mm -hmm. know, I think obviously, um, but I think it's quite a good, I think that the the likelihood is, is that most of us don't really think about it like that much at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's at the heart of, I think a lot of confusion around some of the, uh, not just the things that, that COVID has um, introduced, but all sorts of decisions, you know, um, should I, uh, what's the chances of me getting into an accident if I mm-hmm. go a bit too fast, if I break the speed limit? What, um, if I climb this ladder, you know, to clean out the guttering and I'm two floors up, mm-hmm. you know, what's the what's the risk of that? So there's loads of things that we do that probably would be worth a quick way up i'm not saying that we have to sit there with pen and paper but okay what are the chances of this happening and if it did happen what would be the consequences and i think that's quite a good thing to do on on my management courses i i tend to try and get managers and others to do that because it, it relates again to this we keep coming back to this system one system two thinking where by doing that you're employing your system two thinking system one thinking is the instinctive not thinking just sort of unconscious thing you do whereas system two is when your brain is engaged in a more conscious uh, more sort of thoughtful calculating decision Um, and so I think you know that's actually not a bad thing to do we would have a lot fewer accidents if we did that sort of thing Mm -hmm. Um, so I've worked in health and safety in my distant past and I think all managers, in a way, work in health and safety because we we all have to think about our teams and ourselves, of course. So it's just really using some of those tools, I think, in real life. I think, yeah, I think there is some, it's useful yeah. to do that. In terms of like social risk, I feel like I often mm. am annoyed at my system one <laughs> for doing things, yeah. I suppose, instinctually where, you know, if you say something wrong or you behave in a way that you're not, happy with and you're like why wasn't system two engaged um <laughs> well if you say something you mean that you, yeah that you're not you happy kind of with. wish you hadn't yeah, yeah yeah like um 
you know, just things didn't play out the way you, in your life because you were not thinking about it. It was system one just going off on its own. Um, but I think the thing to remember is you can't constantly be in system two, can you? Because you'd be paralysed. You'd never say anything or like. But I don't. There's a. It's an. There's a line, isn't there? To know when it's worth taking a bit of time to calculate. Yeah, and and it is, and and maybe you should also consider there the um, the impact. Yes. So I yeah. think maybe your your um, tendency, if I if I may say so, mm. is that you will tend to overemphasize the impact of it. So maybe being a bit more relaxed about. Yeah, you know, if you do say, if you do say that thing that's that's maybe could be misunderstood or misconstrued or somebody might mm. take offense you know okay what's the worst though that, that could happen maybe you have to say sorry or maybe they they just got a bit of the hump and they forgot about it the next day and mm. i think when you're talking about social etiquette and mistakes you might make by you know saying to somebody um you know oh you look well today um which some people might think it means you look fat um mm. then you know these are minor four pars really and i think the impact of those things are quite small mm. so maybe you over worry about the impacts when it comes to that and so you reduce the chances of you sort of saying anything mm. maybe maybe um or maybe you don't, but you worry about it afterwards. So that seems to be mm-hmm. what you're what you're actually saying. Um, yeah. I mean, I, when I think about risk, and, and you kind of introduced it to start mm-hmm. with, it was more to do with uh, risk to your health, really, or your yeah. your safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, crossing the road, um, mm-hmm. jumping the lights, speeding, mm-hmm. um, climbing a ladder. Um, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or face covering in public during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. So in the UK today, we've, uh, we are now, um, essentially free of all legislation in terms of mask wearing and, Mm -hmm. uh, testing and all of that. But, you know, there's still some decisions that we need to make personally to decide, Mm -hmm. you know, do I still want to wear this face covering when I go into the supermarket or not? Mm -hmm. I see a lot of comments on Twitter about these sorts of things. Um, but very rarely do I see people talking about risk in a in a kind of the way that we've just described it. Um, so you hear people say, you know, um, well, you know, obviously masks don't do anything because mm. you can still breathe through them. So that means that right. droplets can get through as well. Well, yes, okay, that's true. So then you would have to do a a bit of a risk analysis and. Obviously, I don't know the numbers involved in this, but just hypothetically, what you would say is um, if you wear a face covering, does that or how much of the droplets of saliva or spit Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to say, how much of that does it protect other people from? Um, And then you might say, well, the amount of stuff that it protects other people from means that it reduces their risk of being infected by my uh, potential infection by 20%, 10%, 5%. Now, mm. obviously, at some point, especially in this country where we don't have any, the government now telling us what that what that calculation should be, we have to make our own decision about how much we think is acceptable. Um, and then we're into the impact so we might say well if i'm you know going to a place where they're mainly young people then maybe the the impact isn't so high but maybe if i'm going to visit grandma mm-hmm. in the old folks home 
then although the likelihood of it being spread is pretty much the same, the impact if it did get spread to my grandma would be much greater. Therefore, I'm going to wear a mask when I go in there, but I'm not when I go to see my friends down the pub. I'm not saying that's the way you should do it, of course. You know, that's that, but the point I'm making is these are the sorts of calculations that you're kind of making. Mm-hmm. And often it is about weighing up these risks. It's about impact versus yeah. um, and I think, likelihood. Again, very much like conversations we've had over the last few days, um, a lot of emotion gets in there in terms mm. of, I'm about to touch on a topic that might make people go, ooh. Um, but... Um, <laughs> in terms of uh, vaccines and like anti-vaxxers yeah. um, mm. they're sort of I, in my opinion getting I, I think coloured by emotion rather than the likelihoods and risk analysis I guess um, because I think if you um, sat down and did a risk assessment you know so to speak if you actually you know did that I think it would be difficult to not come out the other side seeing that it's more beneficial to you know have vaccines than to not have vaccines yeah well this is where i think that the government and um the uh the the medical um establishment if you like could could have been better um because i would have liked to have seen really explicit that calculation that says Mm -hmm. the risk because we know there was a risk Mm -hmm. uh, there is a risk of any medicine so no mm-hmm. matter what you're taking, whether it's the vaccine or paracetamol or aspirin or whatever it is, there's a a risk associated with it. So you're always looking at again this risk management. What are the chances of it of it having a detrimental effect? If it does have that detrimental effect, how bad is it? Weighed up against the benefits, mm-hmm. and therefore we take a lot of drugs knowing that there is a a small risk but we feel that the benefit outweighs that risk and that that goes for any single medicine any medicine that you've any got in your procedure cupboard if you look at too. it any procedure also absolutely there is always a risk associated with it but you make a decision and generally we tend to leave that calculation to the medical profession because they have a better understanding of those risks benefits but i think when it comes to something like a new vaccine i think it would be useful for us to say right what are the risks of a of a really bad or a fatal reaction to it you know one in x thousands or millions what are the risks of me dying from covid one in x hundreds thousand millions and then in a way you can you can compare the two so then then you are seeing it as a um as a like for like risk analysis um and the problem is because um there is such a lack of trust mm-hmm. in authorities and indeed in the medical profession then i understand why some people find it difficult to trust them but um for me i have enough trust in the system and in the institutions to believe that um, the risk of me taking that medicine is worth it because it's less than the risk of me contracting and dying from COVID. 
that's in a way that's the calculation that that we we need to do because if you don't you know you'll always find somebody who died from a yeah. bad reaction to something yeah, that yeah. you know that will happen but then you have to say right how what's the chances of exactly. the other thing happening yeah to? yeah exactly but you're right um, emotion does um does also play a part mm-hmm. um there's some psychology around this um there's some biases that are quite interesting mm-hmm. um so I'll, I'll throw a few of these at you if you like okay yeah um, so there's something called the availability heuristic. Okay. I think I might have mentioned this before. Well, tell us again. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you listening? Uh, so the availability heuristic is that you're more nervous about something that you've just heard about mm. than something that you maybe heard about two years ago. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, some people were like not getting the va- first vaccine when everyone else was not like, I'm going to wait till everybody else yeah. has done it and then I'll do it in a few months or whatever. A few people Well, there's that. there's that. But the availability heuristic is more like, so flying is a good example of this. So um, if there's been a, a bad air crash and uh, you're about to go on holiday, mm. you know, the day after, um, you might start to feel more nervous because there was a, a big air crash the day before. And that's mm-hmm. that's because, obviously, it's just in your mind now. So it's more available to your thinking. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's top of mind. Well, what so someone things... did explain to someone the other day when, um, not the other day, like at some point, they were, they're nervous to fly anyway. Um, yeah. They said that and then they were experiencing turbulence. Um, but the person next to her got out a picture of his family <laughs> And we started looking at this picture of his family and that just made her freak out because previous to that he'd been like, oh, don't worry, I fly all the time, it's fine. But then they started experiencing turbulence and he got out a picture of his family oh and just started looking at it, like really somberly. He didn't do the cross symbol, don't you? No, no, no. But I think, like, yeah, she was, then she started panicking because I think she was like, oh, he flies all the time, but he's looking at his family, he must be terrified. It's the end. <sighs> yeah. So we are affected by all sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's some interesting stats. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a in a survey, the uh, the survey found that eighty percent of respondents in the survey believed that accidental death was more likely than having a stroke. Right. So this um, this in, by the way, this is in Thinking Fast and Slow by mm-hmm. Daniel Kahneman the book that we keep referring to. <laughs> so 80% of respondents believed accidental death was more likely than having a stroke. So the vast majority thought that you're more likely to die from some sort of accident, whether that be falling a car crash, a falling off a ladder, airplane crash or whatever. 80% thought you're mm. more likely to do that than a stroke. Whereas the fact is that strokes kill twice as many people. Yeah. Yeah. But... Why do we think the first one? Well, because accidents are more kind of dramatic. And again, because they're more dramatic mm-hmm. and they get reported on more, you know, like on the evening news, you don't hear about, you know, five people Strokes. suffered a stroke no. in the region today, you know, you, but you do hear about mm-hmm. the car crash mm-hmm. on the M5 or something. Um, so unfortunately, that's top of mind. Here's another one. Um the belief is that tornadoes are more frequent killers than asthma. Mm, so you're more likely to die in a tornado true. than of dying from asthma. So that was the belief. But the fact is that asthma causes 20 times more deaths. Mm. 
Yeah. But people are, are more scared of tornadoes than they are of aspirin. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I suppose again, especially because... if you're in particular parts of like America and things like that that experience a lot of tornadoes. Yeah, I guess there might be some lumpiness around the, the, the data yeah, in that yeah. sense. But, but um, it's still okay, correlates. Yeah. Indeed. Um, death by lightning is less likely than death by botulism. Um, I don't know. Those both sound quite uncommon these days anyway. Um, well, death by lightning is 52 times more frequent than bo- death by botulism. See, I would have still said botulism, though, just because it seems like more likely. But then we don't. I hope we don't do too much of that these days. Uh, what about this one? Um, death by disease and by accident are equally likely. Does disease count things like um, strokes, anything really? Heart attacks, um, heart attack, COVID, Um, sickness, whatever. I suppose that's more. I suppose this was before COVID, really. Yeah, I I suppose that's more common. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is before COVID. Death by disease is eighteen times more likely than accidental death. So you're eighteen times more likely to die to die of some sort of disease than you are of an accident. Um, so yeah, the reason for that is that we tend to, again, we, we notice accidents much more than we do, um, just, I suppose, everyday Mm -hmm. tragedies like somebody dying of Mm -hmm. cancer or something like that. So um, I think that's quite interesting. Mm. Um, so that's the availability heuristic. Yeah. So, um, that's a, that's a really common one. Um, I remember, um, do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic? So we're going back like a, about 18 months now. Um, I think you were still here at the time. You were still staying at mm-hmm. our house. Um, and you, you started to become really quite anxious and mm-hmm. you, you sort of, we had a chat about yeah. it because you were kind of worried about. I think yeah. I was probably going to have to start going back to work after the rules right. were don't go out and I was like literally nothing's changed because <laughs> um, like you know we didn't have a vaccine at that point um, That's right. so it was this time last year it was like you know yeah. um, we got locked down a, a month well no it was 2020 wasn't it it's was 2022 now so it's like two years ago um mm. on dad's birthday um we got locked <laughs> yeah, that in that was that was lockdown day wasn't it yeah. yeah um the second when i went back to work after the second third whatever big lockdown you start to become numb to it don't you but the first time i was quite afraid um because i was like literally nothing's changed we don't have mm. there is no vaccine they just you know i'm not allowed to see my friends but they want me to go to work i can't see my partner mm-hmm. all they care about is that i'm in front of a till <laughs> so yeah. you know and um you know it's kind of it but it was scary mm, yeah um, but you got the whiteboard so, out <laughs> i did i got the whiteboard out and we start, sort of i can't remember exactly what what we talked about but we were talking uh, and that was well, essentially about risk wasn't it was it? well you were talking about obviously the way that they have to talk about it on and consider it yeah. is very large scale but yeah in terms of going to work and stuff is a lot smaller scale very different mm. sort of statistically and risk wise than the way the government has to think about wide very large mm. risk also trying to help me understand why they were making some of the choices that seemed very bizarre 
Um, yes, that's right. I was like, why this and not that? And it's like, probably because on a large scale, the risk factors are very different than each individual making choices. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the thing that helped me, so right, I remember it now. So one of the things that helped me think about it was, um, so, you know, you weren't allowed to, or you, you were discouraged from going to certain places, but then you could go to work, for instance, or you could go to something else. And the question was, well, how come I can do this, but I can't do that? And one of the, the ways that, that helped me to think about it was, you know, if if you meet 10 people, let's say, in a day, um, if you can reduce that down to five, then you've halved your risk of transmitting or, or getting the disease. It's impossible not to have any contact and for society to function, there's going to have to be some contact. But from a large scale, from a public health decision perspective, if you could reduce everybody's contacts by 100% or by 50%, I should say. So if you could reduce everybody's contact by 50%, then that's going to make a massive difference to the amount of people that are going to contract the disease which in itself will have a big impact on how many people end up in hospital, which was the big fear um, that we wouldn't be able to cope with the numbers going into hospital. So from a public health perspective, often the messages we're getting are designed to reduce the amount of incidence in the population. Mm. When it comes to individual risk, it might not make that much difference. It's a quite a small increase of risk. But as a population, it makes a big difference. So that's why, you know, some of the decisions like I think you could go into a restaurant and eat, but you couldn't go into a restaurant and drink mm. um, unless you were having a meal. And oh, you got all of these kind of fairly ridiculous rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, is a Scotch egg a, a substantial meal and all those sorts of yeah. ridiculous conversations. But it's because essentially what we're trying to do is reduce the, the, likelihood of people passing it on by a percentage which would mean a reduced amount of people in those hospitals mm. so that's kind of why it and but for you of course you were receiving those messages and taking them so much to heart that you thought or it felt that mm. that availability heuristic kicks in because you're hearing about it all the time yeah and you're thinking well you know every time i walk outside i'm, I'm going to get exposed to this Mm-hmm. so i think that's the problem and it often happens that people like you who are pretty conscientious and mm. you know you worry about doing the right thing you know you receive those messages big time mm-hmm. um and the people that are a bit more thick-skinned and don't really receive those messages they're the ones that actually you know probably need to receive them more but that's just another sort of problem with large populations when you're trying to reduce risk i suppose that's what so this availability heuristic is what people are talking about in terms of i don't know if you heard of this book but um it came out it was called um it was in i think it was in 2013 but everyone's sort of been talking about it more now let me just um stop reading the news uh did you hear of that no um but i think it would be, I'm interested to read it because I've heard quite a few people mm. have read it um, basically um, and then all the news articles wrote about it. Um, uh, I'm sure they found it an interesting read um, talking about the change, the potential change in landscape for news and how news is treated if people turn away from it 
in its current state. Um, but mm. basically, um, it, it you know it makes sense that yeah, the news currently is um, it, its purposes, I guess, to keep you watching, isn't it, and keep you engaged with it, um, so that like you said, they're not going to report on how many strokes there are or these That's types right. of things. So obviously we need to keep informed, but um, mm. it, it could easily kick in that, what did you call it? Um, awareness. Avail- yeah, availability, heuristic. Yeah, the more you hear about it, mm-hmm. the more it becomes a really big thing. And yeah, to some degree, you know, when there's a health emergency like the pandemic, then that's the thing that the government want you to keep front of mind. But there are lots of other things that, of course, you know, kill people as well. Yeah. Um, and on an individual basis, you're, you know, although, of course, there is a slight increased risk of the pandemic, but you're still at risk of cancers and heart attacks. And, and that was um, the thing that was being discussed a lot, wasn't well. it? That people weren't getting yeah. treatments and that's so right. on. Um, yeah. Um, so just changing um to a slightly you know still on the same topic but just slightly changing mm. gears um um do you want to talk a little bit about the ex religious point of view mm. um so kind of yeah. mentioned it but haven't gone into it so i mean did you feel you were quite a worried child anyway weren't you so i don't know I'm... if you noticed a big difference from being religious to being non-religious but did, did think, you feel like life was riskier once you left or did you feel as though it was risks, just different yeah there are, i was say the risks were different really so the risks for me as a jehovah's witness was um sinning against god or sinning against the holy spirit mm-hmm. or you know failing to do something that i could do to save somebody's life by mm-hmm. bringing them into the truth so blood guilt um yeah thought crime or thought sins and the risk was that um, you wouldn't get to come back sort of thing because of these things. well that was the the impact was right, that right. so yeah so um i think that screws up your risk mm-hmm. benefit analysis that screws up your ability to do that risk mm-hmm. uh, management because you you're worrying about things that are actually not a not true Mm. um so you know god isn't gonna kill you at armageddon if you don't preach enough hours on the ministry um so you're you're focusing a lot of your risk analysis on things that actually don't matter Mm. um and it's it's skewing your what what you care about really Um, but on the other hand there are things you don't worry about so you're not you're not thinking about oh you know should i should I take out that extra pension or should I, um, yeah, you know, how do I get a leg up at work, you know, and, and get that position that I really want. And, uh, you know, so you're not thinking about those issues so much, but you've got these other things that are, that are worrying you more of the time. Did you find it so. a strange transition then to start um, doing risk taking or, considering risk in ways that you hadn't before yeah i think i think it's it's something you don't consciously well i didn't really consciously mm-hmm. think about um i think you 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 could go i suppose in the opposite direction and just decide well you know 
Armageddon's not coming. There is no God. I'm just going to do what I want. You know, mm. I'm going to take all the risks I want because there's nobody here to stop me. But on the other hand, as you said, you might, you might say, well, um, yeah, this is it. You know, I've only got 80 years worth of life and I, I want to get the best out of it. I can. And therefore you're, you're more risk averse. I think at the, the, the end of the day, it's probably a big element of individual differences. Risk, um, feelings of, uh, being comfortable with risk is another one of those things that sits inside um, the individual differences that we talked about the other week. Um, so uh, let me think about them. Um, so people who are quite open to new experiences and and so on, they may be willing to take greater risks than somebody who is not so open. So. Mm more likely to be quite conservative in their um in their behavior um again conscientiousness if you're talking about taking risks that involve other people probably less likely to take risks because you're more responsible you feel responsible for others um so i wouldn't like to say about some of the others because mm-hmm. it's perhaps a bit more difficult um to identify so high levels of neuroticism would tend to suggest that you would be very risk averse mm. i suppose unless your neuroticism kind of goes thing. in a particular direction and you just go go wild yeah yeah so it's, it's difficult because these things play off against each other but yeah i think there is a big individual difference element to that mm. which is probably more more relevant than um your experience of being in a in a cult or high control group. I mean, I know I was, I was raised very, I was raised and I felt very risk averse, but then you weren't raised as a Jehovah's witness. And I think you're quite risk averse too. So I suppose I do force myself to do things, but like, Mm, like, um, in, in the sense of like, I don't know, I was worried to drive to a new city that I know is difficult to drive in. Um, Mm. And I was like, but yeah, it was my idea. I decided to do it. Um, it was a bit stressful, but it was fine. I know that's small scale, but it's still, you know. I think I think most people would um, would find that stressful, but yeah, mm. many might might choose to um, to avoid it altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it... so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's a massive um, thought around the the religious upbringing um did I just you think did you feel it like, changes what you worry about yeah did you did you feel personally more concerned when you were making quote like health decisions or um you know did, did the mundane things become a little bit more like oh because you know on your journey to not believing and not thinking oh i'll come back regardless of what happens do you know what i mean um, going up those ladders, I, I, cleaning those windows, we like. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, off talked this this. I've talked about this before. You know, we used to do some three-story windows, mm. so we were very high up. Um, and I now and again at night time, when I'm just about to drop off to mm. sleep, I just in my head, I'm up that ladder again, and mm. I think, you know, if I just one foot just yep. slipped on that ladder, mm-hmm. um, I'm dead or or, or paralysed because yeah. it's a long way down yeah. there. Um, but I didn't, I didn't worry about it at the time. Um, but now I think, oh my 
God, I would never do that now. Mm. Whether that's, I don't think that's because of my not being a witness. I think what's what's changed actually, some of that was more working in health and safety and just being mm. more aware of, of those sorts of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think what it comes down to is you worry about different things. And so your risk analysis is based around different things. So I would be weighing up things like, what if what I'm about to do now gives a bad witness? Yeah. You know, what if it gives a bad witness and somebody <laughs> yeah. stops coming into the truth because of it? You know, that's the thing I would mm. worry about, which or obviously if, I don't care no, about. No. no, or if you personally, if you needed a transfusion when you really believed, um, yeah. the risk analysis would be different because you'd think... I wouldn't worry about it. No. So that wouldn't even have to be a calculation. It's simple because I yeah. don't I don't have blood transfusions and it's yeah. that. it doesn't really matter what the risk is. Mm. Um, I know I don't do that, so you know you could you could tell me that mm. I'm definitely going to die if I don't have it, and I still wouldn't have it. So mm-hmm. I think it's perhaps slightly different if you talk about somebody else. So mm-hmm. um, and and I was coming out at the time we talked mm-hmm. about when you were being born um, at that time, but um, yeah, I mean I had an operation um, before you were born, mm. and uh, I remember filling out a no blood know, form a no blood thing and I, that didn't I didn't worry about that at all other than I felt a bit embarrassed and um mm. yeah that was a fairly unpleasant the way I was treated it was pretty unpleasantly really which mm. wasn't the right thing to do either but yeah. other than that I didn't feel any kind of worry because I knew I was doing the right thing in my head so yeah yeah, yeah. I think um that the, the risks are just different from mm. what I can see and mm. um, I mean we've talked mainly there about um risks around health i suppose but of course we we take risks or we make decisions about you know should i leave this job and do a different job for instance you know should i risky yeah should i take risks around my career should Should i I go for that to a new city yeah should i move house yeah city um should i get married should i not um should we um take out that mortgage will Mm. i be able to afford it you know these are all risks that we have to weigh up and i think Mm. thinking about them in terms of uh risk management what we've discussed is is the only way to do it really and you Mm -hmm. know okay what are the um what are the makes you feel better likely outcome i think because then (laughs) yeah but well because then even if it doesn't work out um you you can say well i did everything i could and I yeah. made an informed decision. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So when yeah. you make those big choices, it's like, well, it's not because I rushed it or I didn't consider things properly or, you know, I've, I'm I'm bad. It's just sometimes things don't work out and we knew there was risks, but um, mm. we, we, we decided to, to take that risk um, and put in as yeah. much precaution as we could. But sometimes these things happen and you feel a bit better about it. Obviously, you're still a bit mopey when things don't work out, but... You know, you feel a bit better about it. I think things like that, it's it's kind of, it's nice if you go into it with your eyes open, you you accept the risk and yes, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, um, when you don't feel like you knew all of the risks, that's when I think you can yeah. feel a bit, yeah. feel a bit bitter or a bit cheated, mm, you know, exactly. if you feel like yeah. you weren't given all of the information, which I'm sure a lot of um, born-ins can um, Absolutely. Sort of Absolutely. testify to yeah. is that, you feel like you weren't given all of the information, so you weren't able to make your own calculations. I mean, the the other calculation that's just occurred to me is the one that I think we all make when we leave. You know, you're you're actually calculating um, is leaving worth what, it? Is it? 
Yeah. Is this the I right leave, risk to take? Yeah. What what happens to my family? How do my family treat me? Might I get disfellowshipped? Can I do it in a way where I don't get disfellowshipped? What's the risk of that? And so, and you know, if I do end up getting kicked out of my house, um, if you're a young person, maybe you don't have anywhere else to go. What are the risks associated with that? So in a way, that's what we're doing when we're deciding. And, and I mean, I definitely was very conscious of doing that risk analysis when I left. Mm. I was thinking, right, you know, if I do this, what what's likely to happen? If I do that, what's likely to happen? And that's how I thought about it. And I yeah. really feel like I... I personally feel that was the right thing for me to do. It might not be for everybody, but yeah. for me, it meant that I could leave, fade, and, you know, still be able to have some sort of relationship with some members of my family anyway. And that's meant a lot to me over the years and, and to you too. So, um, yeah, I think I think that was the right thing to do. It's one of those occasions where definitely for me, Better to do that than stomp out saying, right, that's it. I've had enough of this. Um, I'm not going anymore, you know. So for me, it was about thinking about it and thinking what's the best way to exit this thing. I appreciated the risk-based analysis you did because um, it meant, yeah, we got to have relationships with people that we wouldn't have otherwise and things like yeah, that. That's right. Considered me yeah. in the equation, which is nice. Yeah, I, I mean, that is my nature. So I'm quite, I've said it before, I'm a slow thinker. I tend to do all that weighing up. So it is part of my nature. Yeah. Um, I guess sometimes it might go against me, you know, sometimes you have to make a, a decision quickly. But um, for the most part, I feel like it's better to think about it first. <laughs> <laughs> Generally. Cool. All That's right. Well, are we done on risk? I think so. I hope people found hmm. that kind of slightly comforting. Um, I don't know if they did or not, but I hope so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's a few decent little tools there, really. There's a, um, I'll, I'll put on a, a, a little table that you can download that I use for my management training courses. You can, you can download it and you can use it. It's just a table, really, that mm-hmm. allows you to give numbers to um, so certain things. So the big choices, and, yeah. Yeah, big choices. Know what's the, the exiting, likelihood exiting religion yeah. chart? Hmm. Nice. So I'll I'll pop that on um, on the website. So I'll put a link to that. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, thank risk. you very much for that conversation. Thank you. Risk thank you. done. Nice. Never Ticked worried off. about risk again. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed that. Thank you. So, please, listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe or follow or whatever the thing is that you need to do um and if you want to be a patron that would be fantastic but if you don't that's cool we still love you mm-hmm. um keep listening to the podcast and uh, yeah write a review Bye-bye. bye what should i think about is an evil sheep production <laughs>